0: Father, as we begin this week in which we'll not only choose our leaders, but we'll honor those who've served to protect us, we thank you for our nation and our liberty and for placing us where you have. Our country, Father, was founded as you, we don't need to tell you, but it was founded with an acknowledgement of a biblical morality, the need for one, and you've shown us grace our imperfect union, but today as those who name your son as Lord, we can also see the vestiges of that morality withering away. We know that you you do judge ungodly nations and our nation does seem to be edging closer to the tip of your sword. (coughs) Perhaps you are already piercing us. So we plead on behalf of our country. For grace. And if not, then graciously allow your people to be faithful, your church to proclaim the gospel, to live maybe no longer as a moral majority, but as a prophetic minority of exiles who hope in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, two days before this election comes to an end, and I think we can all agree we're a long, long way from those men in Philadelphia who signed their names and pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor for the cause of liberty from Great Britain. There hasn't been much to smile about when it comes to this election, but one thing did make me laugh. Uh, It was a picture of Queen Elizabeth and a message advocating that we should, under the circumstances, just give up independence and make Great Britain great again. Turn to Psalm 146 with me. We're not going to return to Great Britain, but in two days, barring an election controversy or one of the candidates not getting to 270 in electoral votes, we will have a new president-elect. And while I... I think that the, when every election is called the most important election of our lifetimes. So I'm tired of hearing that myself. I do think there's been more anxiety and even fear about this election than any in my lifetime. And to that end, I don't want to be overly political from the pulpit this morning. And I regret that many who are supposed to be ministers of the gospel sometimes seem to put politics ahead of the gospel. One megachurch pastor I saw on a cable news station this week said that it was morally inexcusable not to enthusiastically vote for a particular candidate. And I'm not about to go there. Um, But I do feel as your pastor, as one accountable for your souls, that it is my responsibility to speak to the state of our union and this election for a little bit and to bring the word of God to bear on it. Um, And I think, in fact, I know that when we do that, when we do bring the Word of God to bear on it, there are some ways I know every one of us can win this election. So this morning is different. Instead of one text, I'll have several, but home base will be Psalm 146. And I won't ask you to turn anywhere else. I'll just ask you to listen. But Psalm 146, and I just want to talk to you a little bit and maybe think through some principles to remember on Tuesday night and some things that will still be true on Wednesday morning, regardless. Psalm 146, look at verses 3 and 4. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth in that very day His thoughts perish. The first principle that we need to remember this morning from God's Word is that remember not to place your hope in leaders. Remember not to place your hope in elected leaders or otherwise. Don't hope in princes. Do not trust in princes. You know, there hasn't been a president who's ever been elected in whom people didn't have high hopes. You know, even when we look at some of the worst presidents and of course that's a subjective thing Um, but when we look at some of the worst presidents in history still when they came into office a lot of people had high hopes for them otherwise they wouldn't have been there people looked to Nixon to fulfill his promise to restore law and order after the social upheaval of the late 1960s eight years later people put their hopes in Jimmy Carter to hopefully restore honor to the presidency after the scandal of Nixon and Watergate. Four years later, people hoped Reagan could instill confidence in America again at home and abroad. The point is sometimes earthly leaders in whom we place our trust live up to our expectations, but far more often they don't. And sometimes They fall far, far short, breaking promises, making mistakes, and sometimes leaving political mushroom clouds in their wake. Because mortal men, even princes, cannot be trusted. Not with the kind of trust we need to have. Mortal men like those who framed our Constitution knew that. Back in 1787, one of the big debates among the the framers of our Constitution at Independence Hall in Philadelphia was how do we prevent a monarchy? And so they came up with this ingenious idea of a separation of powers because they knew that a tyranny of the majority such as a Congress could be just as despotic as the tyranny of a king. And then they had the judiciary there which you could argue today is as tyrannical as anyone. But they separated those things in the Constitution because even though they weren't all Christians like we sometimes want to believe, they had a better, better grasp of human nature than the majority of people do today. They knew that mortal men cannot be trusted. There is no salvation to be found in them, no matter what they promise, no matter what kind of hope and change they say they're going to bring, no matter how strong they think we'll be together, no matter how great they think our nation will be if they get elected. Israel learned this lesson. They didn't remember the lesson, but they learned it in 1 Kings 8. If you recall, 1 Kings 8, not not 1 Kings, 1 Samuel 8. (coughs) God was their king. But in 1 Samuel 8, they were no longer satisfied with God as their king. They wanted a king like all the other nations. So God gave them Saul. And Saul was, he looked on the outside like what a king is supposed to look like. And so they placed very high hopes in Saul. He was who they thought they wanted. But if you know anything about how First Samuel plays out, you know it didn't end very well for Saul. Because do not trust in princes. Even the best of them die. Even David failed. Their spirits depart. They return to the earth. In that very day, their thoughts perish. And someone else takes their place. For every Kennedy, there's an LBJ. For every LBJ, there's a Nixon. For every Nixon, there's a Ford. One after another. So you can be the biggest Hillary supporter or you could be the conductor of the Trump train. God help you either way. But don't trust in princes. God help us, right? When you vote and then on Wednesday when those votes are counted, after those votes are counted, don't place your hopes in Washington. Don't place your hopes in Raleigh. Don't place your hopes anywhere where there's a mortal man in charge. Or woman. And I know that doesn't remove the anxiety about who that leader will be. So second, the second principle we can keep in mind. Remember that God... And not the electoral college will ultimately decree who is president. God has already ultimately decreed who will be president. Daniel 2.21. You know, we're going to cast votes. Some of you already have. I know some of you already have. You've told me. And electors are going to do their thing and then there will be a president. <clears throat> but Daniel 2.21 says it is he, God who changes the times and epochs so if you don't like that daylight savings time is no longer it's actually God that, that changes the times it's God who changes the times and epochs he removes kings and he establishes kings you know a few weeks ago we were looking at 1st Samuel 15 in which God what did he do he ripped the kingdom away from Saul remember that? He ripped the kingdom away from Saul because Saul failed to obey his word. Saul rebelled. It was partial obedience, which is really disobedience. So he ripped the kingdom away from Saul. And in chapter 16, God sent Samuel to anoint the man who would be Israel's next king. He went to Bethlehem. He went to a man named Jesse. And seven sons of Jesse passed before Samuel. And some of them looked the part of the king, but none of them were the man instead it was Jesse's youngest son the one who wasn't there it was the one who was out tending the sheep a man young man by the name of David so God removed one king Saul and he established another king David and he does that over and over again in scripture and he doesn't make his decisions on a whim You know, God is not going to be moved by the stump speeches the candidates make. God is not moved by their 30-second TV spots. Robocalls don't influence him. God has not been swayed by opinion polls. And I will add, he's not been swayed by a fear of what the other guy might do. In Isaiah 44, around 750 B.C., God revealed to Isaiah that he was going to use a man named Cyrus to see the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. Funny thing about that, Jerusalem was still standing. And this was over 200 years before the Babylonian exile would be over. Babylonian exile lasted about 70 years. So before Jerusalem was even torn down, God said, I'm going to use Cyrus... To rebuild it. And the events of the next 200 years did not influence God one bit. Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, which was not the predominant empire when God said this, he is the one who brought an end to the Babylonian captivity. You read about this in the end of 2 Chronicles and at the beginning of Ezra. Because God changes the times. God changes the epochs. God will bring an empire up and God will bring an empire down. He removes kings and he establishes kings. So whoever our next president is, Trump, Clinton, or whoever, whoever controls the House, the Senate, the governor's mansion, God is in charge. He ultimately decrees he will be president. So third, (coughs) God is going to determine who is there. Third thing, remember that God directs the hearts and decisions of those in power once they get there too. And as hard as that might be to understand, it's true. And He does it for His purposes. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes if you take those exiles who returned to Israel for example after Cyrus made that decree they returned to Israel but they were opposed when they got there people around them were not happy the Jews were back and so many of them wrote to the king and even after Cyrus was gone there was a king named Darius and they wrote to King Darius stop them from rebuilding this city they're not going to serve you they're not going to be faithful to you they're going to build a temple to their god. They're going to do their own thing. They 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 were trying to prevent the Jews from carrying out the rebuilding of Jerusalem. But in Ezra six twenty two we read, and they observed the feast. The exiles <clears throat> they observed the feast of unleavened bread, seven days of joy, for the Lord had caused them to rejoice and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. God turned the heart. God directs the direction of a king for his purposes. And by the way, sometimes he does that for judgment too. Lest we think that God is only doing that so good things will happen. God does that so that bad things will happen too. Is it not he that brings good and calamity? the prophet says. God has directed the hearts of even America's worst presidents. His fingerprints are all over history and the decisions of history's leaders for his purposes. And it's true of the man who has been in the Oval Office for the past seven years, nine months. And it'll be true of whoever is sitting in the Oval Office come January 20th. God will direct the hearts of and decisions of those in power for his glory, for good or for bad, God's purposes will be established isaiah forty six all he says will be accomplished, so forth, and this one is very practical, and maybe this one is most pertinent to what we're thinking about this morning. Remember to seek the best for where God has placed you. remember to seek the best for where God has placed you we have a responsibility before God to do what we believe is best what we believe he wants us to do for the place in which we live there's no better example of this than Jeremiah 29 in Jeremiah 29 the Babylonian exile had begun it was in the early stages and Jeremiah got a word from the Lord, a message to send to those in Babylon. And part of it was this, 5 and 6. <clears throat> Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands and That they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not increase or do not decrease. In other words, keep living your life. But then this verse seven, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. In its welfare, you will have welfare. And aren't we exiles too? We're reading through 1 Peter, and he writes to those who are aliens. Another word for that actually used in in the King James is exiles. We are exiles. If you're in Christ this morning, you are in this world, but you are not of it. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. So while we are here on earth, we are like those dragged off to Babylon and we should be seeking the welfare of the city where God has sent us. In that case, it's the United States of America, it's North Carolina, and it's Moore County. We should be seeking the welfare of the city to which God has sent us. What is best for our place. And therein lies the major dilemma facing us. Because there's no election in my lifetime where it's been harder to figure out what is best. And I will admit to you that I have struggled greatly with this question. On the one hand, there is a candidate living under suspicion for major national security violations who also gives full-throated support to America's Holocaust. Hillary Clinton is perhaps the foremost political spokesperson for the murder of unborn children in the history of this country, even to the point of abortion right before birth, as we heard in the third debate, if you watched it. And you add to that a number of other troubling policy positions. On the other hand, the other major candidate is on his third wife, So we know he doesn't keep his promises. And while he's married, he's bragged about all the women he's been with. He's bragged about what he can do with them and to them anytime he wants to. He's bragged about the appearance of teenage girls. He's been crass on a debate stage in a way I will not repeat here. Donald Trump has built his financial empire on the back of a gambling industry which keeps the poor in poverty. He's been rude, he's been disrespectful, and you know all of this. He's waffled on the question of abortions more time than ego. So what do we do? How do we vote what is best for the city to which God has sent us? If you're looking for me to tell you which circle to fill in, you're not going to get that from me. I take 1 Corinthians 4, 6 very seriously, and I do not want to go beyond what is written. I'm not going to say you have to vote a certain way. I'll just say this, search the scriptures, pray, and do with what you can live with before God, and before your family, and before others. But in as much as you can, remember to seek the best for the city to which God has sent you. God told the Jews in exile, seek the best for the place you've been exiled. And here we are and i believe that applies to us as well. So fifth, while we're seeking the best at the same time we have to remember that our hope is not in America being great. Your hope is not in America being great. Acts 17:26 He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So as much as we love our country, we have to remember our hope is not in our country. Our hope cannot be in our country in making America great again. Those Jews in exile were living in the midst of a powerful, prosperous culture in Babylon. But what did God reveal to Daniel? In Daniel 10 and Daniel 11, He said Babylon would fall. It would fall to the Medes and the Persians. And then the Medes and the Persians would fall to Greece. And after a strong man was off the scene then that kingdom would be divided in four and then another empire would come but then be more powerful than all of them. And what do we know from history? We know that the Babylonian empire fell and the Medes and Persians did take over and then the Greeks came and when Alexander the Great died that kingdom split in four and then the Roman empire came and was more powerful than all of them. But even Rome fell. And the Spanish Armada fell. And the British Empire fell. And if we're naive to think America is immune, God has determined the times and habitations for the United States of America. So if we place our hope in the red, white, and blue, we will be disappointed. And I say that as someone who loves my country. But Paul says, Romans 5, 5, hope does not disappoint because the kind of hope Christians have is not based on a nationality or a constitution or a flag or anything else than Jesus Christ. So sixth, remember that no matter who wins, your citizenship is in heaven. Philippians three twenty and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has, even to subject all things to Himself. Beloved, we sing songs like when we all get to heaven, in the sweet by and by, what a day that will be, and how often do we fail to live in the reality of that hope especially during anxious election seasons. You know, Joseph served Pharaoh and sought what was best for Egypt. And he knew that Canaan was the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Daniel served while exiled in Babylon, seeking the best for the place he was, knowing God would bring his people back to that land. And in the same way, God has promised something better to those who serve Him today. And that is the hope we carry into the voting booth on Tuesday, that God has promised us something even better than the best possible political outcome. And is. And it is what we read in 1 Peter 1 verse 4. That we, if we're born again, have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will never fade away. So our citizenship is in heaven. Remember that. Yes, we're citizens of America. Yes, we're citizens of North Carolina. But our greater citizenship is above. And that will never be affected by any change of law. Because God doesn't change. Seventh then. Remember to live your life to the glory of God no matter what happens in America. And in particular, no matter what happens to Christians. Live your life to the glory of God no matter what begins happening to you. 1 Peter 4 verses 12-16 through Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of His glory you may result with exultation. If you are reviled for the sake of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. And why do I read that? Because in the past eight years, we have seen the coming of a fiery ordeal. We have seen attacks on our religious liberties increase the freedom to act in accordance with our Christian beliefs, in accordance to what this book says, has come under fire in the name of erotic liberty, in the name of gender identity and cultural conformity. We've moved past the age of live and let live and are now living in the age of celebrate evil or you're going to pay the price. One candidate has gone so far as to say our religious views need to change. And I don't say any of this to be an alarmist. And I don't say any of it to alarm you. But barring a significant shift from the current trajectory of our nation and our culture, those who are following Christ are going to be put in a position where we either have to fall in line or face the consequences. I believe that with all that that, that I read in Scripture and all that I see and all, all the whatever wisdom God has given me. That's what I see happening in our country. That's what is happening to many people in our country even today. And it's nothing new. America, we're alarmed because it's happening here. It's happening to our brothers and sisters all over the world for a lot longer. So how will we live? How will we respond if and when we are confronted with the decision to be faithful to Christ or to our culture? How will we respond when it affects our finances, when it affects our retirement, our standard of living, or even our safety? Will we follow Christ even if it affects our freedom? Peter was writing to those to whom these were not hypotheticals. Nero was emperor and the persecution was on. And his message was no matter what, you live To glorify God. If you suffer, don't let it be because you deserve to suffer. Don't let it be because you're a murderer or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler or a thief. If you're going to suffer, suffer for the name of Christ. Suffer as a Christian. Don't be ashamed and glorify God. Because if you, a believer, are purified through the fire of God's judgment, those who don't obey the gospel of God will be judged for something far worse remember live your life to the glory of God no matter what happens eighth remember that in the end the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ revelation eleven fifteen, 15 and he will reign forever and ever and I know <coughs> This is related to things already said, you know, our citizenship is in heaven, God is going to judge. But this is what we need to remember, beloved, that Jesus is Lord now, and Jesus will be Lord always. And America, as great as it has been, is, or ever will be, pales in comparison to the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world, in all of their splendor, are nothing next to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, where He reigns as King and always will. We go into the voting booth remembering that Jesus is king. And he's never up for re-election. To him be dominion forever and ever, First Peter 5.11 says. His dominion will never be threatened. Jesus shall reign. And we need to remember that and live in light of that. Ninth. And here's a practical one. Because this election season has been more divisive in the church... Than any I can remember when I say the church I don't necessarily mean Bethlehem Baptist Church I've not sensed a lot of division among people in here about the election and I praise God for that but I do know that there are Christians who are conflicted about this there are Christians who feel strongly you should vote one way there are Christians who feel strongly you shouldn't vote for other people and, and there has been division and maybe you have experienced it too I, I will say for those of you who or on Facebook, you can't avoid it. So no matter who wins, remember we are to love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John thirteen thirty five. And remember when Jesus said that? Right after or right before, he was about to undergo the fieriest ordeal imaginable the cross. Love one another. He said that knowing almost all of them would die the death of a martyr. Love one another. And we still need to remember that whether it's Trump or Clinton or somebody else. We have to love one another and we have to love others and show them that true greatness only is in Christ. And that leads me to the last one. Tenth. Remember that no matter what happens in this election or in this country, you must repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hillary Clinton is not going to make your eternity great. Donald Trump cannot make your eternity great. One of the third party candidates, no. And neither will you either. You will not make your eternity great. We've seen in 1 Peter 1, 1.3 that it's God who causes us to be born again. You must obey Him in faith because Jesus will make your eternity great. You must heed His words. You must repent and believe in the gospel. You must turn from your sins and entrust yourself to the one who died for those sins on the cross. Bearing the wrath of God against you. And on the third day, he rose to provide victory. Most of you know I'm not optimistic about this election. I'm not pessimistic either because my hope is not in the greatness of America, but in the greatness of my Savior. And I don't, I think maybe the fact that I'm, getting a little tired now from my sickness maybe I'm even in my speaking pattern this morning it's coming across as a downer and I certainly don't mean to do that because I'm not down I'm discouraged by what I see in the world but I'm not down because Jesus reigns and for that I want you if you still have your Bible open look at first um, not first Psalm 146 And I want you to look at one more verse. And this is why you should not be down no matter who wins on Tuesday. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Do not trust in princes. Because your help is not in princes. Do not trust in mortal men because your hope is not in mortal man. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob whose hope, future faith, whose hope is in the Lord his God. No matter what happens Tuesday or for the next four years, hope in the Lord God. And you'll have already won the election. Do not fear. Do not fear. Study the Bible. Study the Word of God. Pray for wisdom. Pray for your country. Vote in accordance with godliness. Vote in accordance with your conscience. A conscience that has to be captive to the Word of God. Vote seeking the best for the place where God has sent you. And glorify God with your life. Pledge allegiance to Christ. And even if not, everything is well in America. All will be well with Him. And that's what matters. So I speak today not to bring anyone down. The news has already done plenty of that. I speak this morning to say there's hope. And trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I say that. Help me live it. And we can all agree with it. Help us live it. Father, if there's someone here this morning whose hope really isn't in you, I pray even this morning they would turn from their sins and run into your arms. (coughs) Father, this election season has taken a toll on all of us. It started like two years ago. And we're just bombarded with it day after day, night after night. And there's a scandal here and a scandal there. There's leaked emails and videotapes. And it's hard to feel good about anything until we look at your word. And blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Blessed is he whom you have chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, to have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will never fade away. Father, we we live and we walk and we talk and we pay taxes in America every day. We think of ourselves as Americans and we are. And while not diminishing that one bit, Father, help us to realize we are yours first and foremost. And Jesus is king. May you be glorified, Father, by whatever happens on Tuesday. But may, may you still be glorified in how we live our lives today and tomorrow and the next day. May our hope be in you. May you be our help, may we depend upon you and cast our cares upon you and obey you and love you and honor you and cherish you because you are king, you are Lord, and you are faithful. We say this and we pray this with great thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.